Arkansas Row Crops Radio, providing up-to-date information and timely recommendations on row crop production in Arkansas. Welcome to the Weeds Are Wild podcast series as part of Arkansas Row Crops Radio. This is Tom Barber, Extension Weed Scientist with the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture. If you're a regular listener on our show, you know that we have various guests from time to time uh, join us on the podcast to give us updates in their area. And today I'm joined by Matthew Davis. Matthew is the staff chair and agriculture agent for Jackson County in North North Arkansas. Welcome, Matthew. How's it going, Tom? Uh, Yeah, as Tom said, I'm the ag agent up here, and like I said, we're always running into problems, so I guess I figure I need to get on here with Tom and discuss a few, maybe help you all out in the process. Well, that's right. There's plenty of problems to discuss. Uh, I guess that's why we have jobs, because that's usually what we get these days, just (laughs) questions about issues and problems. Uh, So as long as they're problems, we have job security, I guess. But uh, That's right. It seems like every year I say that, uh, man, this year is just really crazy or difficult and I'm ready for a normal year, but I don't know really what that looks like anymore. So, so anyway, well, if you could, Matthew, let's just talk about Jackson County and what's going on and how your farmers are doing up there and kind of give us a crop update and let us know where y'all are at. All right. Well, for Jackson County, uh, I I hate to say it. I had somebody planting rice two days ago, but we did still. And I usually say by the middle of May, I'd like to be done planting rice in this county, but it doesn't ever work out that way anymore. It seems like we've had a lot of rain, a lot of wind. There's a lot of issues in general, Uh, but we are, I think, finally finished planting rice. There may be a few guys here and there, but we're done with that. Corn's been done for a little while. Soybean acres are still getting planted every single day. Uh, I figure we'll plant at least through the middle of June, into the late June this year, especially if we get any more rainfall. It looks like next week's scheduled seven days of rain with a chance every day. So we'll see how all that goes. We've, we've planted beans as late as 4th of July and later some years. So, uh, well, you know, we always make the joke in Arkansas, Matthew, that we can be, uh, you know, somewhere around 90% planted in soybeans and 5% harvested at some time. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's typically how it is. And then, like I, said, I was in a field the other day and I saw standing soybeans and I was thinking, where did them come from? And I got to looking down there and that was something they got, they got cut off by the river last year and had to be abandoned, never got harvested. So, was, so it's, it's, it's always something, uh, but as far as like corn acres go, like I said, we're good. All the corn's up, looks good. Um, not had any major pest issues in corn. I did get a lot of calls last week or week four last week, last three weeks total, uh, about rice stink bugs and corn everybody was kind of freaking out about that and that's not really been an issue we don't look for rice stink bugs we're looking for uh, browns and then greens that cause damage uh, but the, i think because of the wheat this year rice stink bugs are real heavy in wheat and they're real fickle they go in and out of that wheat field uh so fast that people wanted to spray them in wheat and they saw them in corn and wanted to spray them in corn so didn't ever have to spray. I did see some true army worms and some corn that was causing some damage, but never had a threshold that was warranted an application of anything. But that's another thing I've got a few calls about and saw. Uh, uh, cotton, I guess that's something I didn't used to have to worry too much about. I only had two growers in the last years. I only had one grower for cotton, but this year we've doubled up. We've got about 2,500 acres around the Tuckerman area, and we've got another few thousand spread out amongst between all the way from oil trough to Newport, from Newport down to Schaffner, down to Tupelo, Weldon area, 
this year and uh we've got it all looks good uh, we've got some got in a little early had some issues of standability didn't come up cotton looks for a reason to die as soon as it comes out of the ground unfortunately so but everything is i think squared away now we've got some strip till cotton in this year planted into cover crops you know trying to check thrips on that keep a close eye make sure we don't have some insect pressures coming into those areas uh but you know we're also in the heat of spraying for rice herbicides and i think we've already kind of discussed it off top off the camera here but we need to discuss it here is you know since i do have these cotton acres uh you got to start watching for your herbicide applications as a rice farmer you know try to be a good neighbor watch for those applications because facet and some of these other products that's going to be going out for grass control can really ding up the cotton field and we've got a lot of cotton right beside rice or within the vicinity of it right now well that's true and and you know um <laughs> It, uh, there's a lot of guys growing. We've talked about this on the on previous podcasts just across the state. When when cotton gets up above a dollar per pound, there's a lot of guys that want to be cotton farmers all of a sudden. And that's, you know, provides a good opportunity. And, and uh, you know, I personally, I love cotton. I mean, I love working in cotton. I think it's a cool crop to mess with, plant and grow and watch. But um, a lot of rice herbicides don't play well with cotton. And that that's a great point that you bring up. I mean, I know last year, uh, we had some cotton move into some traditionally non-cotton areas and, you know, a lot of new path and facet injury uh, across some of those acres. And so, you know, most of our propanil, new path, facet, um, you know, can cause some tremendous issue to uh, cotton that's next door or, you know, uh, even doesn't have to be next door if we get those herbicides hung up in an inversion. And so just need to be careful. And I know, you know, Matthew, we talked about, it, like you said, kind of off the air for a minute here, but as we get into uh, talking pigweed control, you know, a lot of those herbicides, well, propanil we just mentioned, that's got activity on, on pigweed. It seems like this year, uh, I don't know if it's because our residuals didn't get activated. I know in our plots, just about at every location, we've got some uh, different tests that we, we got planted, got sprayed, uh, but we had four or five day window, maybe six or seven in between spraying those pre's and getting an activating rain. And so we had some weeds germinate in the middle. And so we've got some larger pigweed in some of this rice, uh, probably more so this year than we have in a while, I guess, based on the calls I'm getting. But uh, propanil, if that pigweed is four inches or less, propanil or anything with propanil in it is a pretty good application, especially on flooded rice where we can get that flood up and um, cover, either cover the pigweed or get it pretty high on the pigweed. A uh, pigweed doesn't like wet feet, as, as a lot of you uh, have witnessed out in the state. And so, you know, that flood is important for pigweed management. If we're in a row rice situation, it's a whole different story. And so, uh, we're going to probably likely make multiple applications for pigweed uh, if you've got it up now in uh, in row rice. And so, again, propanil can help, but propanil plus grandstand uh, or in your county, Matthew, I know y'all are uh, not on the ban list for 2,4-D, but like you said earlier, you've got a lot more cotton in the area. Uh, so we have to be careful uh, with that 2,4-D. Um, the loyant. It, you know, is a great pigweed herbicide, but depending on size of the pigweed is going to depend on, on your results with that. And we've, you know, in the past said eight ounces is pretty much good on pigweed, but if that pigweed's up five, six inches, 
I'd feel probably a little better with 10 ounces than I would eight uh, in those situations. Uh, but, you know, back to this 2,4-D comment real quick. You know, Matthew, if you had to guess how much of your cotton in, in the county is maybe enlist versus extend, do you know? Off the top of my head, as far as I know, we're 100% enlist right now. I think there were some intentions to grow, some uh, extend varieties, but I believe, to my knowledge right now, everybody went with enlist cotton just to kind of protect yourself if there was a, a 2,4-D drift. But I believe, per the rules, even if it is enlist cotton, the buffer requirements are still in effect. So you still have a four-mile by air buffer and a one-mile by ground buffer uh, for 2,4-D because – a lot of those rules predated the enlist system for cotton. And I don't right. know if they've ever been updated. Well, and it does get confusing because the 2,4-D we use in rice is not the enlist, is not the uh, enlist one, I guess, formulation of 2,4-D. Yeah. yeah, not the choline. It's, it's not the choline. And so yeah. when we're using these generics, if you will, 2,4-Ds, the old rules apply to them. So the, like you said, one mile by ground, four mile by air, um, applies in those situations. So it, the rules get a little, uh, I guess, more gray, if you will, uh, yeah. in dealing with that type of situation. So uh, I guess at the end of the day, we just need to be careful. You know, know there's more cotton out there than, uh, than uh, maybe in years past and uh, plan accordingly and make sure you touch base with your aerial applicators in the area and know that you've got the cotton if you haven't haven't yet. Um, so any other issues or, or, or discussions in rice? No, not with rice. Mike said, you mentioned with the Laurent run that, that 10 ounce rate, I think we've, we've had escapes, you know, or not escapes. I guess we, we had knocked pigweeds down to an eight ounce, but didn't, you know, just didn't seem to get them when they were over that four to five, six inch size. Um, you know, grass issues. We got a lot of barnyard, we get everything's resistance. You know, we're going to keep running into those issues over and over and over. And that's just a, you know, I think beating a dead horse at this point, we're trying to uh, figure that out and just, you know, without having new products in the market. Um, I think there's, there's always been some confusion with guys running this full page system versus a clear field, thinking that full page will still take care of those resistant barnyard. And it's, it, it doesn't, you know, it's not nothing changed with the, you know, it's just, it's the same uh, group and you're still running that same product. And you're not really gaining anything overall. So, you know, don't assume that you're getting with the full pay system. You still need to be looking at other options. Keep your keep your pre's down, keep them activated, uh, overlaying them. You know, that's that's critical. You know, we've been discussing that a lot. This late planted rice is gonna have to be done. This rice has been planted in the last, you know, three weeks, needs to be getting overlaid with a command. Uh, prowl something that's going to stay down there. Keep if, if these little rains we're getting right now, they spurt you know two tenths to half inch rains. If you can get something down the front of that, do it because it's going to make a world of difference if you got resistance out there later in the season, uh, especially in row rice because we got crab grass and goose grass and Johnson grass and all these things we're trying to deal with. And I've already got calls on crab grass and row rice, and there's not many good options. I think rice star is something you know I've recommended. Um, some clincher with some of that Johnson grass, but nothing's great on these bigger grasses that get up above that flood zone because you're not in a flood. And so you're kind of just, you know, trying to limp it along and trying to control those areas. So that's, that's, that's something else we just run into the last few weeks. Now it'll, it'll only get worse as the summer heat kicks up and everything starts germinating. 
Absolutely. You know, that goosegrass, you mentioned that one, and I, and I know crabgrass can be a problem, but goosegrass, if we have that, that's, a, that's one that'll stay with us all season, especially in a row rice scenario. And so uh, it's hard to kill. It's hard to get out. We've tried different management schemes there at uh, Mariana and our row rice with it, but, you know, you hit the nail on the head with the residuals, uh, overlapping those, command, prowl, uh, anytime we can get command out there. If we're going across the field, you know, we need to be putting a residual with it. Uh, so overlapping those residuals is important for that goosegrass control until we can get rice growing large enough to compete anyway to uh, help reduce some of that germination. But uh, it's tough, you know, and you mentioned the post, you know, well, you mentioned the full page system. The biggest benefit I see from a labeling standpoint in that system is it allows us to use PostScript over the top at an earlier uh, stage. And so, uh, although you're right, if it's resistance, if it's resistant to beyond or new path, it's not going to matter. It's not going to matter. But these populations um, where we have need a salvage situation, my favorite salvage is uh, PostScript plus Ristar. That's year in and year out where we have bigger grass. It just seems to be from the options we have anyway, some, one of the better options to, uh, to use as a, as a salvage treatment. So it does provide that opportunity, but you're exactly right. I mean, post grip and beyond basically same AI, same herbicide. It just allows the, the labeling allows for a little different uh, application window there. Yeah, yeah. And with the weather, the timing hadn't been right at all. So I mean, it's just what you're going to run into. Right. If you can't hit those timings, then you throw that out the window too. So then you are in a salvage situation. And we've ran a lot of rice star and salvage and trying to th get things cleaned up. And we still run some regiments sometimes to get, you know, and the regiment's a hot thing, but with soybeans nearby, we try to watch a regiment and low all those products to avoid burning up a bunch of soybeans in the area. So. Yeah, the, the regiment can find the soybean pretty quick if you're not careful. Yeah. So uh, yeah. that's for sure. All right. Well, uh, Matthew, from my standpoint, I guess lately, other than some of the things we've been talking about in rice, probably uh, cutoff, growth stage cutoffs for herbicides and corn is probably my one of my bigger calls over the last week. Um and, you know, we're, we actually have a publication that Tommy put together. Uh, I can't remember if it was two years ago or three, but it's on our website. If you can find our website, uh, uada.edu, uh, if you just Google that, you should be able to find it. And then in the search bar, you can search for application cutoff timings for common herbicides. So uh, there's, it's just, like I said, a pretty quick reference guide. Uh, for all of our major row crops and very major, you know, herbicides. I'm sure not every herbicide is listed there, but a lot of them are. And it provides the growth stage for cutoff uh, in crops like corn. And so just some common ones that I've been getting, uh, glyphosate or Roundup. Actually, I got a, a comment from a, a consultant that that was wrong in our guide and I got to looking. And it's hard to keep all this straight. So everybody keeps us pretty honest, which is good. I mean, we need all the help we can get keeping things straight. But I think glyphosate in our guide says seven days pre-harvest interval or something like that. And, uh, you know, it, that is true for a harvest date application of glyphosate. But prior to that, the cutoff is uh, 
30 inches or V8. And so even on our Roundup Ready 2 corn hybrids, it's important to, you know, if, if we need to make a glyphosate application, honestly, it's not going to do you any good much past that growth stage of sprayed over the top anyway due to coverage. But uh, we need to keep it out of the world of the corn because that can cause some injury. And so, uh, and it usually relates to pollen development type injury and so uh, ear development. And so, you know, keeping a product like glyphosate out of the out of the uh, world of the corn when it's that size or bigger is important. Uh, Halex GT, another common one, 30 inches, same story or V8. Uh, if you've got a corn hybrid tolerant to Liberty, uh, the cutoff for that is V6. Uh, Caprino, another fairly common her used herbicide is 20 inches or V7. And then the most common herbicide of all, which is atrazine, is 12 inches. And that's the hardest one, <laughs> I think, for everybody to follow. And uh, we've sprayed a lot of atrazine past 12-inch corn uh, in our plots and everything. And so um, we know we can survive that, but we just, you know, we want to try to stay below that 12-inch mark if we can when we put our atrazine out. And so, um, but that's just a few common ones. The rest of them are, are listed there in, in that guide. So. So check that quick reference guide if you've got those questions. But other than that, I think for the most part, our corn crop has finally turned a corner, maybe. I hope anyway. Yeah. It appears to, because I've got a lot of calls look at saying that's really taken off. It's like in that weather when it was kind of had nice warm days, but not so hot nights. And uh, we'll see as this weather changes the next few weeks. But back to what you're saying about cutoffs, uh, something I got the question I call and I talked to you and I talked to Jason Kelly about uh, last week as far as how to measure to that world. When they say 30 inches, is it most people are thinking measuring that ear or measuring that uppermost leaf to the tip from the ground to the tip of that leaf is your cutoff and it's really to the world is what it should be. And then as far as growth stage, you know, you're still counting those collars. But that if you're trying to use the measurement side of it, they need to be measuring to the top of the world, not to the top of that leaf. Cause they may be missing an application because they're measuring wrong and they could have sprayed potentially. So. No, absolutely. That's a great point uh, to bring up. And I really like, you know, and I know it's, it's either or, but you know, that growth stage is a lot easier to, <laughs> to count yeah. when you're out there than it is. Yeah. Uh, Cause yeah, you're going right. to have corn of various heights throughout the field. And so right. it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's good not to just walk in that edge where it's probably double planned anyway and a little short. You need to get out there. Right. somewhere in the field and kind of make that verification because dinging the main part of your crops is a lot worse than dinging the field edge. So definitely, definitely pay attention to that. Cause I've, we've, we've had those issues I talked about. And then uh, I've had guys calling about hooded sprayers. Can I run a hooded sprayer in my corn? And you know, that puts it below that grown point, things of that nature. And that changes up some of the things, but you still need to be real cautious when it's at that point. Uh, as you said, well, and I just, you know, I, I know it's, uh, you know, it's more expensive and it's just an, another labor intensive application, I guess, but getting some drop nozzles to just get our herbicide out of the world of corn or, yeah. uh, you know, nobody really wants to take the time and, and we don't have the time. It's not nobody wants to take the time. It's just, it's hard to manage all the acres that we're managing with the equipment that we have and the people that we have, especially uh, finding qualified people to run it. And so just by having drops, we could actually open the door to spray more things in cotton, just keeping it out of the terminal uh, yep. of the crop. And so, you know, in the future, investing in some drop nozzles for these larger sprayers, I think, you know, will be important. 
you know, one of the, you know, we talk pigweed all the time, but one of the more problem weeds in our corn crop is becoming morning glories. Right. And, yeah. uh, and a lot of it is because we're in this one shot program or, or two shots, but the second shot is early and our residuals are just running out before, uh, before well before harvest and these morning glories are coming up when the corn starts drying down and the morning glories vine up the corn and we've got a problem. Uh, with harvest efficiency and and uh, so you know it uh, really would be beneficial to have the drops where we could go back in with a later application of of uh, calist something with mesotrion in it, callisto or whatever to to give us an extended uh, morning glory residual to reduce some of those morning glory issues. Yeah, it's it's been we've had that issue last year. In some fields, you go out there and you know, with a drone, even to get up in there and look at how that, how those, uh, vine, you know, that morning glory's reached up and grabbed a bundle of corn and pulled it all together. And you go, you're trying to cut through that. And it, it really puts it, you think it slow you down as much you pay for that combine or as much the farmer pays, but it'll put you in the bind real fast. You got a bunch of corn balled up with morning glory tied all around it and creeping up it. Uh, and same, you know, in cotton too, we've had a lot of that issue of seeing some morning glory getting away from us and, had to run some aim or something underneath the hood when the cotton's a little bigger, trying to get those things cleared out and not have that issue. Uh, it's been, it seems like year over year, we always have something last year was grasses and cotton. I couldn't, couldn't seem to get the grasses under control. And then we had some later in the season, had some morning glory start showing up in huge clumps yeah. and fields that have been neglected. That's, that's another thing. I had a lot of guys take on acres this year, fields have been neglected and in the past. And uh, a lot of those went to cotton acres and things like that. So, it's been a been a task to try to get the weed control back under where it needs to be at. So, well, cotton is just it's it can be difficult for that because there's just not a whole lot of herbicide options available like we have in in a lot of these other crops unless we use hoods or you yeah. know post direct rig or something like yeah. that. And so, you know, um, aim is a great herbicide and it's fairly cheap herbicide to use in cotton. We can mix it with the fairly cheap residual and, and, uh, you know, have a good program for, for morning glories, but we have to have the equipment to put it out. And, uh, really the only great option for the over the top morning glory control is, uh, invoke and invoke yeah. is one of those herbicides we don't talk about a lot, but, uh, it has some special uses that, that can be beneficial. Uh, morning glories is one of those, a uh, tenth of an ounce of invoke uh, with whatever else you're putting out post uh, roundup or, or whatever, but, but um, morning glories, side of weird weeds, um, spurtanota, which I get pictures of every year. People wondering what spurtanota is uh, looks kind of like wild cotton, but anyway, it, it has activity on that. And so, you know, so it has some, some niche fits, uh, nut sedge is another one. Yeah. I was about uh, to mention nut sedge on rice, rice, soybeans and cotton too. I mean, it's sedges have been ridiculous the last two years to the point that, you know, I'm we're having it. The guys have been spraying permit year over year in rice thinking it was controlling it and really need to be switching to bass of ground because of the type of sedge they have out there. Uh, same in cotton, you know, same in soybeans. If I, I wish we had a, a dozen STS varieties, but we don't. We have like two in list, I think, and maybe a handful of extend varieties that are STS or Bolt. 
just to help knock the sedge down because we it's it's becoming a growing issue in some of the, my best producing fields that i work with guys on uh it's just bad i mean we're getting it in rice so bad that i thought the rice was double planted the other day and it was not double planted rice it was that much sedge in a two or three acre block and you couldn't yeah. see the rice hardly so that's a growing concern uh for us and hopefully we don't get any of some of these new sedges that tommy butts has been talking about the last few years uh showing up that uh white margin sedge uh i hadn't seen it in this county yet but i hope hope to not see it in this county if i can keep from it so well and you know in rice we have and corn i guess to some extent but in rice we have more options than we probably do any other crop to, to yeah. control it but you get a bad set issue in in cotton and soybeans i mean that's a yield robin event i mean it is uh extremely competitive early on uh later it doesn't matter we don't have a lot of great products to use like i mentioned in cotton roundup plus invoke is probably the best thing in cotton in the enlist cotton system that you have there in your county a lot the blue phosphonate and enlist one in our plots has done decent uh, roundup and blue phosphonate has done decent but nothing is just the hammer on sedge really in uh in cotton or beans as as much as what we can use in rice and so um that invoke the trick to that invoke though in the cotton is it's got to be at least five true leaves and for some of the right. new cotton growers they may not really know why but but cotton is really sensitive to that invoke early and and invoke's going to cause some injury at that six to seven leaf stage but what it does typically is, is just like a typical ALS, it's going to stun it, may turn it a little yellow, but those nodes will start stacking. And you just don't want to, you know, if you do it too early, you'll set that cotton back. The bigger that cotton gets, uh, it'll still set nodes, but they'll just be a little more stacked or the inner nodes won't be as long. And so it actually works good as an application of picks. So if you use Invoke, you won't need much picks, uh, at least for that first application. You'll be yeah. good. And, and maybe good to know on some of these new enlist varieties. We've had some that's gotten away from us with even with picks applications. But to circle back to you saying about your plots and the glue files and eight enlist one working, that's something I've been hammering on these soybean growers. If you're in list and you don't have an STS enlist, you need to be going with the Liberty enlist one first and then come back with maybe a roundup Liberty later because it seems like that first shot going with those two applications always puts a hurting on the sedge enough to set it back that your beans get on up and are competitive. And then you can come back with that roundup liberty application to keep it, keep them suppressed. You're not really ever killing them completely, but you are suppressing them enough that I think we're gaining yield later in the season. Cause like I said, I've got fields that's carpeted with uh, yellow nut sedge, some annual sedge and flat sedge. And, and so far it's been, my go-to if it's not STS and we can't run something else out there, we're running that glufosinate and uh, enlist one first in our first application post. <clears throat> no, that's good. I think that's that's probably your best option in those in that situation. So, well, what else? Anything else we need to? Uh, uh not. Actually, you mentioned Texas panic tomorrow. I don't have a lot of that here, but I think there's a lot of issues with guys miss. And I might have more than I think. A lot of think gets misrepresented as other grasses, maybe a fall panic or some other type of grass. Uh, I guess, correct me if I'm wrong, I guess some Texas family, it's a lot more hairy. It's more hairy grass. And 
from even when it's a younger grass and uh, it does it does have does it have the ligule uh i'm trying to think what the ligule looks like on a texas panicum we we've had some close calls on i know you said i think south arkansas has some trouble with that controlling it um but we hadn't really ran into that that i know of but i'm sure it's up here and we just maybe misrepresenting it as something else well we're you know it's especially on our sandier soils it tends to be a a pretty big issue and and uh, yeah it's so it comes out of the ground and it's kind of a it's going to be your bigger fatter leaf and it's going to be fuzzy i mean so hairy it's fuzzy and then it keeps those hairs a lot it won't be as hairy as it gets bigger but i mean it they're there if you look um the biggest thing and the reason you know a lot of people are seeing it we're using these group 15s for our pigweed control and overlapping residuals with you know where we're talking about duels the espitolicors the warrants the outlook residuals or whatever and that works great for most grasses and pigweed but basically it's a miss on texas panicum and so that's what's left and so we're you know, essentially probably selecting for some Texas panicum in a lot of these fields just by what we're using from a residual standpoint. Um, you know, prowl, to my knowledge, is about the only thing we can use, like as a post over the top, prowlage to go in cotton or, or soybeans that will have some residual activity. But what we know about prowl this time of year, you know, I put some out yesterday because I felt pretty confident that a rain was coming, but I like chasing thunderstorms with prowl just to get it activated pretty quick. If I can't uh, run a pivot or, or feel like I can get it activated by running an irrigation system. So, um, you know, if we can get that prowl activated, prowl over the top uh, with our post program is probably the best thing for residual activity from Texas Panicum because the calls I get, we don't have a problem killing it. But when we irrigate or we get a rain, another flush comes up. So we're constantly having to spray for it. And, right. and so it's, it's not necessarily that we're having problems killing it. It's just that it, we can't keep it from coming up and, and causing us uh, issues later. So yeah, I would say suggest get some prowl uh, in that system if possible, if you, if you do have that issue. So, yeah. Well, anything else we missed? Uh, not that I can think of. Like, so we covered most everything I had on my list, and I think on your list too. And uh, well, hey, let's Jackson. talk about the new Jackson County Extension Center building there. We yeah. didn't talk about that. Yeah, we didn't talk about that. That was on the list. Uh, yeah, I have, uh, if y'all don't know, uh, Dr. Tom Barber he is the director here at the Jackson County Extension Center. Uh, and I'm I'm just a guy for floating around a lot of times trying to figure out what's going on so I can make sure he knows so he can do the boss decisions and, and make the, make the call to spend the money. But, uh, right now the facility we're in is a actual facility that was built by a tenant of this property years ago. And it's become a little bit of disrepair and needs some work done to it. But I think it's always been uh, Dr. Scott's, uh, dream and Rick Cartwright when he was in extension, they, they wanted to see, uh, this facility have a, a new building that could be utilized for both extension and uh, AES functions, uh, public and private partnerships, and uh, have a meeting space. You know, we hold the soybean college here and several research functions over the years, and we've never had a good space to meet. We're always renting tents. We're always putting up chairs. We're always spending a lot of money on that year over year, maintenance costs, all those things. So this new building is, is going to facilitate my offices and uh, several research offices 
for that uh, for this uh, campus, and uh, that's going to give us, like I said, the ability to hold more meetings and do more functions. And you know, right here, I don't think there's a better research extension center. I guess I better say it the right way because Bob would get after me, Dr. Scott Wood, saying research center this is an extension center and that was always bob's plan this would need to be the jackson county extension center because this center is uh in possession of the cooperative extension service and not the arkansas research uh arkansas experiment station so extension does have full ownership of this facility and how, how the maintenance goes and it comes out of that budget and uh so for for us right here on us 67 i don't think we're there's a better station in the state that has more highway frontage than this one does as far as on a major four-lane highway. So uh, I think for not only the extension service, but the state and for people traveling, you know, it'll be something that we can be proud of and look at and utilize and in the future grow it to be something more than it is right now. No, that's right. I, you know, it's it's definitely a work in progress. And I'm just kind of following up with, with Bob with the work he, he started and you know, uh, the fact that the, for those that don't know, the facility used to be a World War II Air Force base. And so it's got runways that still exist, although they're old, but they still exist out, out on the property. And, and uh, the, the land around the runways was built for drainage off of the runways. And so now we're trying to drain the fields back towards the runway or off, you know, off the field. And it's been a pretty difficult situation. So drainage has been our biggest hurdle, but we've got probably half, if not a little over half of the land level now, and, you know, hopefully plans in the future to, to finish that up, to help on drainage and dig some more ditches and, and provide some places for that water to go. But, you know, it, it amazes me. Yeah. The, uh, the ability of people to work together extension out there to provide demos and, and applied research that's uh, applicable to uh, farmers there in Jackson County and uh, really North Arkansas or just the whole state. Really, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff going on there. So, and we're, nobody's more excited than me that we have got our footers finally poured for our new building and uh, hopefully a slab maybe by the end of uh, next week. So uh, anywhere middle of the next week. So uh, looking forward to that. Hopefully this project will be finished October, November-ish. And so we'll have a facility there to uh, has a bigger conference room for about 80 people. We can have a little larger, larger meeting for the area. So that'll be good. Yeah, we, we can definitely do more field days and have more options out here. And like I said, I think uh, we've got a lot of support from, like I said, the private industry and the public part of it and i think you know the county's very supportive of it and the cities are an area so i think we're we're geared up to to be here a long time that's why i told somebody the day that i'm the youngest one on the station so i guess i'm the one that's going to deal with it for the remainder <laughs> the remainder of my career and extension hopefully it's a long career so but uh unless i get a good deal like randy did the previous agent he got a good deal so when but he, he retired, he stayed, I guess he was here 20, 30 years and retired. So I'll at least stick around that. I'm five years in, so I still got another 25, 30 to go. So I don't figure uh, Bob's going to get rid of me anytime soon or anything. Uh, so I should be good to go. You're stuck. <laughs> you're stuck uh, right where you're at. Sorry. But no. Yep. Uh, <laughs> all right. We want to thank all our listeners for, for tuning in uh, to this episode of the Weeds Are Wild podcast. And Again, thanks to Matthew Davis, uh, staff chair there in Jackson County for joining us. 
uh, today to provide his local update. Uh, obviously, he's available for uh, any of you uh, growers, farmers, consultants there in Jackson County for your questions and, and that. Um, so um, and we always welcome your feedback to this podcast. And I've gotten, usually it's by text or call, but, you know, a lot of good feedback, a lot of good suggestions. Uh, so if you've got any of those, you can, if you know my number, shoot me a text, send me an email. It's tbarber at uada.edu. Uh, and, and again, we're just wishing everybody a, a successful middle and end to the growing season. So thanks for joining us for this episode of the Weeds Are Wild podcast series on Arkansas Row Crops Radio. Arkansas Row Crops Radio is a production of the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture. For more information, please contact your local county extension agent or visit uaex.uada.edu.